Good morning, everyone. Uh, if you're wondering why I'm preaching to you this morning, here's, here's why. Um, get this, get this. Two years ago, I was in my early 40s, and I was content being single. I was, uh, I was content, right? Other people were not content with me being single, but I was content being single. And so at the Bible college where I teach, we have a weekly chapel uh, service for all the students there, and so it happened to fall on Valentine's Day. I preached the Valentine's Day sermon because I was content being single. So I did. So I, I preached the Valentine's Day uh, chapel service, and I, I preached on being content being single. Uh, for all the students there who didn't have dates for Valentine's Day, who weren't going to get their coveted ring by spring, who were probably going to graduate before getting married, and I just trying to encourage them, trying to encourage them to, that they should be content being single too. And Trevor heard that sermon on YouTube. And so he, we've been kind of actually battering this around for a couple of years now, uh, coming here and preaching some kind of version of that uh, for you all. However, God does not always get the credit for being hilarious. Uh, because in the audience for that chapel service uh, two years ago uh, was a student, very cute student, from Laos. Her name is Noi. She would want you to know that she's in her 30s, okay? So even though she was a student at that time, it really wasn't that scandalous. <laughs> I mean, I could have, I could have been... Yeah, I could have had it being a little bit more scandalous, but, but it, it really wasn't. Um, she was so impressed with my sermon on how to be content being single that we got married. Thank you for that. Uh, <laughs> so this is my first sermon as a married person. It doesn't feel any different except this thing on my hand, which I wave around. Um, but even though I'm no longer single, it, it's not as though, it's not as though my beliefs or my feelings about have changed about the way I used to live. And, and Noi is the same way. We were both, and we mentioned this often to each other, this is probably, probably too much, actually, uh, about how content we were being single. I didn't use the dishwasher near as much when I was single. I could always go to the nearest bathroom in the house when I was single. I, have not, I did not watch near as many episodes of The Great British Bake Off on Netflix when I was single. Actually, I kind of like that show. You, you watch it. It's, it's a good show. Uh, I, was content, but, I was content, but I was conflicted. Because the prevailing belief out there for Christians, right, for the church, is that if you're going to be a Christian, you have to be a family person. Right? That, that's what it means to be a Christian, follow Jesus. He wants us all to be in families. And that's kind of the prevailing belief at the Bible college, and that's why everybody wants to get coupled up. And that's, I think, sometimes is the prevailing belief here in the church, is that, well, you know, anybody single, that's sort of a temporary thing, and what you all should be is married. In fact, a year and a half ago, I bought an SUV because I was tired of not being able to find my car in the church parking lot. Because it's just SUVs and minivans, and I can't find my car. <laughs> you think that. You think that the church is for families. You think that that's what it's designed for until you read the Bible. Because Jesus didn't really say a lot of great things about 
families. He didn't say a lot of things even just about marriage. She celebrated people whom he called, this is a little uncomfortable, but whom he called eunuchs for the kingdom of God. He celebrated those people just as much as he celebrated marriage. If you want to read the Bible as a good dating and marriage guide, you might be disappointed. Because, let's, let's be frank, there weren't a lot of great marriages in the Bible. Yeah? Abraham and Sarah. Eh, not a great marriage. And Abraham was in a difficult spot. He said that Sarah was his sister and let powerful people in that area marry her. Okay, that's not a great husband. <laughs> Jacob married Rachel, fell in love with, great love story, and her sister Leah. Uh, not a great idea to marry sisters. Didn't work out so well for him. David and Bathsheba, not a great story. Hosea, if you've ever read the book of Hosea, and his wife Gomer, he was a prophet, she was a prostitute. Ananias and Sapphira lied about their offering and died in the middle of church. Everybody okay? okay. Everybody's, everybody's okay? Okay, just check in, make sure. Offering's kind of a dangerous thing. Um, some of you say, well, what about Song of Solomon? Yes, Song of Solomon, good. I will admit that Solomon wrote a very nice love song for one of his 700 wives. Never said which one he wrote it for. I can only come up with a couple. I, I, Ruth and Boaz is a, is a great love story. I will admit that. And Priscilla and Aquila in the New Testament. But we have to admit that the Bible is pretty weird about marriage and family. And to be a Christian is not, does not necessarily mean someone who is devoted to family life. But it, here's, here's the problem kind of in church. And this is my experience. I'm just telling you what I experienced. Um, when you understand to be a Christian is to be a family person, you make the single adults which are now over half the adult population in America. This happened recently, within the past uh, three, four years. Is now, the majority of adults in America are now unmarried. That's the first time it's happened. When you make, to be a Christian, to be a family person, you make the majority of adults in, in the church, in America, feel like second-class citizens in the church. Maybe you get a sermon, like this one, <laughs> every year or so, but every year there's sermon after sermon about marriage and family. And I got to tell you, when I was single, you know, I would sit and I would listen to all these sermons about marriage, and I would just, this is, this, I want to go visit other churches during this time. In fact, I, I did that once. I was, we were doing a month-long series on marriage and family in my church, which we do every year, and, and I was just tired. I was like, I've had enough. I'm going to go visit another church, <laughs> kind of see what's going on. So I, so I did. I went that Sunday, and I went to another church, and guess what they were preaching there? Marriage and family. It was like Charlie Brown trying to kick the football, you know. Uh, I love my church very much, but on occasion, being a single person means you kind of feel out of place. Like, you, like the church doesn't know what, they, what to do with me. Um, so it would be about 12 years ago, I think. I'm not sure. We had a really bad ice storm, okay? Really bad one. Uh, it's Saturday, I, so I'm in my like early 30s at this time. I, it's Saturday morning, I'm doing laundry or something around the house, and I get a call from somebody at the church asking if I'm doing okay, which was odd. I was like, oh, 
I mean, thank you that someone from the church called. I didn't really know what to do with that. Um, I'm doing fine, you know, whatever. And I didn't give it much thought until I realized later, or kind of learned later, that in my church, everybody is on a list, right, sort of categorized based on their age and their family status. So what list am I? I'm in my early 30s. What list am I on? I'm on the older singles list. This is essentially me and all the widows. <laughs> and so they called me up thinking I'm, you know, just having a tough time getting around. Uh, I'm in my mid-30s, I'm getting calls for Meals on Wheels, you know, um, which in hindsight should have taken them up on. Uh, I'm not complaining, I'm really not. Um, but I think you need to hear this perspective. I think everybody, single if you're here, uh, single if you're married, Divorced, widowed, whatever your status is, you, you need to hear this point of view, I think. We need to hear from each, from each of us to see what it's like to recall to in Christ, no matter what our situation is. Because that's what Christ calls us to. More than coming into a, a different kind of relationship status, he calls us all to be content. And it's hard to do that when the church is shaped around couples and it's shaped around marriage and it's shaped around families. In the ancient world, if anybody talked, the time of Jesus, the time of the New Testament, if anybody talked about family values, it wasn't the church. It wasn't. It might have been the Jewish community. The Jewish community was huge about marriage and family. You had an absolute duty to get married, to have kids. It's a little bit like pioneer times, you know. Having kids meant you could have some help on the farm and you wouldn't stop. Kids was important for the kingdom, for the region, that we would have an army if some other you know, kingdom wanted to invade us, that our people were getting married, we're having kids, and we, we could have an army of people that could fight. Living a single, celibate, childless life was just about as selfish as you could get. There is no word... This is, I heard this a few years ago. There is no word in Hebrew, the Hebrew is the language of the Old Testament. There is no word in Hebrew, in biblical Hebrew, for bachelor. That word doesn't even exist because the concept is just, who would do that? One of the famous rabbis at that time said, any man who has no wife is no proper man. Like, oh, Okay. Though the Hebrew culture, the Jewish culture, was strong about family values, and so was kind of the surrounding Roman culture in that time. Children ensured a legacy. Your name wouldn't be forgotten, that you wouldn't become a burden on the community. The Caesar, the emperor, uh, one of them at that time, ordered that widows remarry within two years, or they would, they would be fined. Strong families ensured social stability, Something the Roman Empire valued greatly. Strong families led to people living in peace with one another. And into that world, into that world which is really so fixed on marriage and family, came an unmarried rabbi named Jesus of Nazareth, which is more scandalous than we understand, and an unmarried missionary named Paul, who encouraged people to join the scandal of a church, of a community that didn't need marriage and didn't need a biological family to live in a community that loved you and cared for your needs. 
You didn't need marriage. You didn't need to have kids in order to be significant in raising up a younger generation. I, I remember some of the most uh, important people in my growing up period, right? Sunday school teachers and youth sponsors. Some of the most important people in my life growing up were single. And you didn't need those things to leave a legacy that would last beyond your death. Everything that the surrounding world was looking to the family to fulfill, Christians were finding in the church. In the family of God. But we live, you know, okay, well, we live in a different world than in the ancient time. Yeah, exactly. We do. We live in a world that mocks family values. We live in a world since the sexual revolution of the 60s, world since birth control, abortion on demand, rise of cohabitation, a world where, you know, a couple weeks ago, about $20 billion was spent on Valentine's Day trying to get somebody into bed. The true religion of our culture today, the true belief of our culture, is that you deserve to be happy, you deserve to be satisfied, so couple up with whomever, even if it's just for one night. And the church, in response to that, has gone all in. We've gone all, pushed all our chips in on family values. It's partly in fear of the sexual revolution, but I think it was mostly to do with, hear me on this, okay? Mostly in response to the suburbanation. Suburbanization of America. When everyone lives, and this is, where, this is how I live, uh, in a little community, little neighborhood, with cul-de-sacs and subdivisions and fenced-in backyards and no sidewalks connecting our houses. That's my neighborhood. In those kind of situations, there's no way to be unmarried without living alone. And I think for a lot of us, that's what we fear most of all. Back in 2000, there was a, um, a political scientist named Robert Putnam. He wrote a book called Bowling Alone. And he noted in that book that membership in community organizations, Rotary, Kiwana, I don't know what kind of things you have here in Mount Vernon, but th those kind of community organizations had, had gone down. Being active in political organizations had consistently fallen. PTA, labor unions even. He discovered an interesting thing which led to the title of the book. He decided that, or he discovered that more people were bowling than ever before, but less people were joining bowling leagues. And so he, so he made that the title of his book. We live in a culture of people bowling alone. And maybe that's what's happening with religion. Maybe that's what's happening with spiritual things. People are very interested in spiritual things today. People are, are very interested to have spiritual conversations, but they're less in, interested in joining a church. Maybe they're bowling alone spiritually. And so I think this is what is happening to conservative evangelical Christianity for the past generation. We've adopted some kind of Christianized version of the cultural religion. And we've set families and churches against each other. If people don't seem interested in church, okay, we'll focus on the family. And marriage, in that kind of sense, ceased merely being a good thing, which it absolutely is, and it became a necessary thing, which it absolutely isn't. 
here's, here's what I've learned in uh, 23 days. Marriage can't save you. Only Jesus can. And by the way, I think, well, I don't know if I want to talk about this, but this is one reason. Can I just talk about this for a second? Okay, and then we'll get back to the other thing. This is one reason that, that churches in general have not been very effective at reaching um, same-sex attracted people is because there's n- we don't have a conception of being celibate, being single, being al- without being totally alone and isolated. Right? Someone, someone said, we can't expect gay Christians to live celibate lives until we com- create communities where being single does not mean being alone. When people who have same-sex attraction look at the church, all they see are couples and families, which according to us, they're not allowed to have. All they see is hardship. They don't see a life that is fulfilling. They don't see anything they value. They don't see a life that's better than the one they're currently pursuing, one that a gay community would promise. We're the family of God. We've been set free from sin. We have the Holy Spirit. We're guided by the word. And we're empowered by people who have spiritual gifts of love and compassion and teaching and mercy and encouragement. We have every resource. You you have every resource you need right here in the room to be the kind of family that can meet the needs of every single person in this community. No matter what their family status is, single, divorced, divorced multiple times, widowed, widowed multiple times, married, separated, great marriage, marriage on earth and have, the resources in this room can meet their needs. Because God has equipped you to do that. We have the capacity to promise a better community, a loving, spiritual, diverse family that includes everybody. And unfortunately, we diminish that power when we think that everybody needs to couple up. Again, here's what I've learned in 23 days. Okay, He's like, you've learned a lot in 23 days. <laughs> there is no issue in your life which the sole solution is marriage. Marriage doesn't solve your problems. You can be lonely, unsatisfied, stuck in immaturity, and marriage just as much as singleness. I didn't wake up 22 days ago more mature. <laughs> if anything, past three weeks have put a pretty strong mirror and microscope up to my life and my soul to reveal all the shallowness, stubbornness, and selfishness I have. Marriage can't solve your problems. Only Jesus can do that. And only Jesus at work in people like you. We cannot think of singleness as a problem to be solved. It's certainly not how Jesus or or Paul thought of it. You were given, I think, when you came in today, a a portion of a text from a letter that Paul wrote to a church in an over-sexualized culture. Corinth in the New Testament was basically the Las Vegas of the, the time. The, the city was defined by the worship of Aphrodite, the, go, the goddess of love. Sexual immorality was rampant in the city and even in the church. And Paul has to call that out in a couple different places. But the interesting thing is when Paul writes to them, he doesn't encourage them to face that by getting married, settling down, promoting family values. He doesn't tell them what, what we probably would. 
Here's what he says to them. And here's what I want to do. I just want to kind of walk through that, that text, if you can read it or if you can see it, um, or just kind of listen to, to what it is that Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 25 to 38. Okay, and here's what he values in that sense, okay? So here's, here's verse 25. Now about virgins, and here he probably means women who are engaged to be married, okay? So engaged women is probably what he's talking about here. Um, I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. Okay, so, so Paul's saying, I don't have a command from God here, but don't read this like this part of the Bible isn't inspired. Okay, at the end of the chapter, he reminds us that he has the Holy Spirit, right? So here's verse 26. Because of the present crisis, I think that it is good for a man to remain as he is. Now, some people read that to think, okay, something specific is happening there in that city that where Paul is going to say, hey, all of you just cool it on the marriage for a while. Um, and th that's not exactly what he means here. That's not how he really is using these words. Basically, what Paul is saying here, the, when he says present crisis, is we are, we are compelled, we have an obligation because of the age that we are in. And I'll explain that here in a second. Verse 27. Are you pledged to a woman? Do not seek to be released. Are you, are you free from such a commitment? Do not look for a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Well, that's good. <laughs> and if a virgin marries, she has not sinned. But those who marry will face many troubles in this life, and I want to spare you this. Just in case you were wondering, we didn't read this text at our wedding. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Verse 29, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. From now on, those who have wives should live as they do not. Those who mourn as if they did not. Those who are happy as if they were not. Those who buy something as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of this world as if not engrossed in them. For here's the key idea. For this world in its present form is passing away. The time is short. And by that Everything is temporary. My parents this summer are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. It, they have an incredible story, an incredible legacy of love and faithfulness to each other. But even I have to look at them and say, even that, 50 years, a long time for me, it's more than I've been alive. Uh, not, ver not very long in the scope of eternity. Even the best things, like my parents' marriage, are temporary so Paul is trying to get across to us that the gospel demands that we live as free as we possibly can for the sake of the kingdom. Our time here to serve, to be willing to sacrifice our possessions, everything we have, so that one more person might know Christ. Our time here is limited. And this is the purpose for which God is saving us. And so Paul continues, verse 32, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how, can he, how he can please the Lord. But a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world, how he can please his wife, and his interests are divided. Just like Jesus said, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve both Christ's kingdom and your own sense of happiness. I've unfortunately seen this happen a bunch of times. At the Bible college, we'll have a, a, a student... Uh, come through, uh, they're wanting to go on the mission field, they get married, they switch, they're ready to go, we commission them, we send them off, 
and they have to return 18 months later because of a family issue. An unmarried woman, this is still verse 34, an unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit. But a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world, how she can please her husband. I'm saying this for your own good, not to restrict you, but that you might live, and here's, again, here's the key idea, that you might live in a right way in undivided, the, the word there means undistracted, an undivided, undistracted devotion to the Lord, what he's calling all of us to be. Married, divorced, widowed, single, engaged. All of us are called to give undistracted devotion to God. Last part of the text, verse 36. If anyone is worried that he might not be acting honorably toward the virgin he's engaged to, and if his passions are too strong, he feels he ought, not, he ought to marry, he should do as he wants. He is not sinning. They should get married. Okay, and a sigh of relief. <laughs> okay. But the man who has settled the matter in his own mind, who's under no compulsion but has control over his unwill, who's made up his mind not to marry the virgin, this man also does the right thing. So then he who marries a virgin, that's Paul. But in other words, we are compelled. If we aren't already married, to choose something better because our time is limited and even the best things in this world are temporary, the demands of our Lord are such that we must live, this is, again, whatever your situation, we must all live as simply as we can. Content with what we have, content to find our sense of belonging and family and even intimacy, to know and be known solely in the church and in our mission together for God's kingdom. Now, I know that's really hard to believe. <laughs> that's really challenging. And really the only way you can believe that is if you believe in the church, that together we can be the truest family, married, single, widowed, divorced, no matter what it is. You are bound together by the Holy Spirit and focused in growing together in Christ and making an impact in Mount Vernon. Several, I told you this summer my parents were having their 50th wedding anniversary. 10 years ago, we had a big to-do for their 40th. Uh, they were retiring, and they were kind of moving from the place where I grew up, and they were coming down to Joplin, actually, to live 10 years ago. And so we had a big party for them for their 40th anniversary. And one of the people we brought in was a friend of theirs, who my sister is named after, very, very close friend. And she, all this time, has remained single. And so they, they came, and they were, they were all students at uh, Michigan State University. That's where my mom grew up, where she met my dad. And they were part of a campus ministry there that was you know, connected, strongly, strong friendships there in this relationship. And, and I listened to them, they were talking, and they kind of bemoaned the fact, you know, this is 40 years later, bemoaned the fact that they were never able to find in their churches the kind of community as close-knit as what they had when they were all in school. And I listened to them, and I just... I felt so sad for them that they couldn't receive, and, I mean, she was single and my parents were married. In all the churches they were in, in all the places they were in, they never found that kind of close-knit community, that kind of close friendship, the kind of thing that we're not just counting 
quality time, but we're really counting quantity of time. It's just about the time that we spend together. Here's my challenge for you. I'm almost done. Here's my challenge. I hope you value, even beyond your own desires to have a happy marriage, you know, obey you, follow you, have a great future. I hope you value to be part of a larger Christian community that's living out together what Jesus has called all of us to be and focus on living in complete unity and with his purpose. It's only when we are living in Christ's purpose, it's only when we are living in his mission that we'll have marriages, we'll have families, we'll have lives that reflects what he wants them to be. Noy and I talked about this a lot when we were dating. We talked about this a lot. She continues to have a ministry in Laos, where she's from, uh, where she's discipling young women and she runs a house where some of the young women have come and they're being discipled there. And she was on, actually, as we were driving up today, she was on uh, Facebook kind of video chat with one of the staff from, from the house. If you want to hear about that, bring her back and we'll, you can hear about her ministry. It's incredible. And, and so when we were dating, this is one of our biggest concerns, like her ministry and my ministry, and can I support, encourage, and advocate for her ministry? And can she support, encourage, advocate for my ministry? And it's, you, you don't have to be in ministry to have these concerns about, because it was about, can we together accomplish more the mission that God has, has called us to be? We talked about that a lot. Empower each other to grow in God's purpose for each one of us. And in the end, fulfill the best reason to get married, to make you more like Jesus. And to grow more into God's will for us. No matter where you are, no matter what your relationship status is, that's what God wants for you. And whatever circumstances you have, whatever opportunities you have, whatever responsibilities you have, this is what God wants for you. To be called more and more into his purpose for you, his mission for you, and to, for you to find in your marriages, in your families, but even more than that, in this community, the kind of encouragement, support, instruction, teaching, accountability, the kind of life you need to live the mission that God has for you, which for all of us is this, to become more like Jesus. Can I pray for you? As you live into that mission that God has for you,